Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Jeremiah 1, 1 through 12. Um, When I finish, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you can just um, reply by saying thanks be to God. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, O Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. The Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord. All right, all right. This is how we're doing this. So, um, I'm a little short, um, (laughs) which is why we're sitting down. It's so that it doesn't show as much. We're... (laughs) (laughs) Anybody have a phone book? Um, So the reason, uh, this is new and different. If you're you're new here, uh, we don't normally do this, but we've done this a few times, this kind of a thing. Um, And so it's a little bit of an experiment, but but, um, I think it's going to be fun. We have worked through this passage together, but we we don't really know what we're going to, what the other is going to say. So there's hopefully going to be great or a train wreck. Either <laughs> could, one. So. This could really you go. You won't be able to look away either way. Yeah, uh, we were this way. At least you have twice as much of a chance to hear from somebody intelligent uh, up here. Um, and but but anyway, we we are excited to to, to preach on this um, passage. Um, and and we want you to listen as as a, a one who could God could be speaking to you. Like I already said. Um, we want you to hear this and, and, and be receptive to what God might say to you. This we're Really, today's service is really about commissioning this St. Albans team. But we also know, and we've been praying, that God would use this to speak to you. Um, and so, so be, be listening for the Lord. Be surrendering to Him as, as we talk about these things. Um, and... Uh, 
So because we believe whether you're five or 85, um, that God still has plans for you, um, things that he wants you to do for his glory. And so our prayer is that today can be a catalyst for that. Um, maybe we should pray and, and then you yeah, jump in. Okay. Um, Father, Lord, we, we thank you for your church. We thank you for today. Um, and we pray now, would you bless the teaching of your word, the preaching of your word. May it go forth with power. Holy Spirit, would you fill Michael and I, and, and would you help us to be faithful with your word? And would you um, prepare each heart in this room to hear from you? Give us open ears. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the book of Jeremiah, or I guess more specifically, this, this first chapter of Jeremiah uh, is a really important passage for, for me in particular, and I think also for, for my wife and, and for our church plant, uh, because I, man, it's just, it's so jam-packed with human emotions, all of which I felt before and, and still do feel. Uh, but before we jump into that, I think it, it's important to know something really quick about my personality, and this may come to a shock to you, <laughs> Ben, but, uh, but I'm a big old nerd. Just the biggest of nerds. Really? I, uh, yeah, I know, man. Wow. Yeah. You wouldn't think it. No, I didn't. But I, I've been to rena a renaissance fair. Oh. Uh, yeah, wow. I, I have oddly strong opinions about the, the, the last three Star Wars movies that no one wants to hear about. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big old nerd, and so as a nerd, I, I really enjoy reading. I love uh, reading all sorts of books, like theology, history, all that kind of stuff, but also, I mean, sci-fi and fantasy. I love those, those kinds of books, but the reason why I love it so much is because I, I love the worlds that they build, and I love the, these grand narratives that they, that they come up with, but almost even more than that, I, I love the characters. I love seeing character arcs. Uh, and it's, it's so wonderful when you can read a story, uh, no matter what kind of book you're reading, and be able to identify with the main hero. Mm. But for me in particular, I always identify with the hero typically at the beginning of the story, when the hero is faced with this grand adventure and he is full of doubts and insecurities. That's mm. usually where I can identify the most with the hero, not at the end of the story where he's all brave and you know, swinging a sword and all that kind of mm. stuff. I'm... Uh, yeah. I'm more of the big old baby part of the, <laughs> of the character development. Uh, and then kind of tying that into what we're talking about today, you know, the Bible is the grandest narrative of all, right? Mm. It's this big, massive, mm. overarching story that, that tells how God comes into the world mm. and saves mankind. It's, it's mm. one giant story, but what's also amazing about it is that there's these small vignettes all throughout it, these, mm. these smaller stories that play into the big grand narrative. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're looking into one right now. We're looking into the, the narrative of Jeremiah. And I so much identify mm. with Jeremiah not necessarily Jeremiah by the end of the book where he is out there boldly proclaiming the gospel, or not necessarily the gospel, but the, the, the foreshadowing yeah. of the gospel, yeah. but more at the beginning when he is full of fear, mm -hmm. doubt, and insecurities. That's where I really identify with him, mm -hmm. and that's why this particular passage means so much to me. 
And the way that God responds to Jeremiah, which we'll, we'll, we'll touch on as well. Mm. Uh, but that's why this, this passage means so much to me and my wife and I think other people in our church planting team as well. So I was really excited when uh, I got to pick what we went over. Mm. So I was like, Jeremiah won. I got mm. it. But, uh, but before I guess we dive into that, it, it's probably a good idea to, to kind of you know, go over some, uh, uh, I guess, set the table for Jeremiah, go over some opening context. And I think the vision of prophets, and, and feel free to you know, shout out if I'm wrong, but usually we have this picture of prophets where they're just really stern and they're kind of just angrily, uh, oh, that baby's adorable, but... Uh, but they're really stern, and they're kind of just lecturing kings. They're lecturing the nations and all that kind of stuff, and they don't really have much emotion other than anger, really. But that's not the vision of Jeremiah that we get. In fact, Jeremiah was often called the weeping prophet, the weeping prophet. And the reason why he was called the weeping prophet, we'll get into in one second, but Jeremiah came during a time of great turmoil in uh, Israel. Um, Shortly after the decline, or the after David was king, Israel went into this big decline. They started following idols. They started worshiping idols, and there was this great moral sense of loss there because they've turned their back to God. And eventually, after his son Solomon was king, the nation split into two nations. You had the northern nation of Israel on the top, and then you had Judah on the bottom. And then eventually the northern, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians. The Assyrians eventually fell to Babylon, and then Babylon eventually took over Judah. Now, Jeremiah, yeah, I forgot his name for a split second. Jeremiah, Jeremiah right came roughly 40 years. Is it. is it Jeremiah? Right there. Perfect, perfect. Got it, got it. I thought we were talking about Jesus. My bad. I'm so sorry. Uh, but Jeremiah came 40 years before the fall of Babylon, and his role was to go and to warn the kingdom of Judah uh, that this great judgment from God was coming if they didn't turn back to God. And he wasn't called the weeping prophet because he was scorned by his people, which he was. He wasn't called the weeping prophet because he was put into the stockade, which he was. He wasn't called the weeping prophet for all those things, even though he had this horrible, horrible life. But he was called the weeping prophet because he, man, he went and prophesied with tears. Hmm. All of the suffering that he experienced never turned his heart towards bitterness towards the Jewish people, but of heartbreak and lament and sadness for his people. And that is why he was called the weeping prophet. And that's kind of a, a little bit of a context to, to Jeremiah the prophet. Hmm. So, yeah, so he's, he's called... Um, in the midst of a backslidden nation. It feels a little bit familiar, um, I think, as I read Jeremiah, it feels familiar to our nation right now. Um, let's look at the call um, in verses 4 and 5. Let's go ahead and just take a look at that. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born... I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. Um, notice that it says, Before he was born, he was consecrated. Before he even um, was formed in the womb, before he even 
was, before he even existed, God knew him. So what this is telling us is that um, God set him apart for a unique purpose, a special ministry. Jeremiah didn't volunteer for an open position. Um, He didn't apply for a job opening um, as a prophet. God chose him for this specific and special purpose at this moment in history. And all of the biblical callings follow this same example, and including yours. Like, right now, what I want you to hear, believer, is that God knew you before you even existed. What I want you to hear, believer, is that God has placed a calling on you that is special and unique for you for this moment in history, right now, in the place in which you live, in the time in which you live. God has placed a special calling upon you. God is the one, we learn from this, who determines what that calling is. We don't determine it. God does. Um, And so, I just want to make this a little bit clearer for us. Your your calling isn't necessarily just to fill a need. While you may need to do that, while God will call you to fill needs at different times, at different places, and to serve, that's not what we mean by calling. Your calling isn't just your vocation. While your vocation could be your calling, it may not necessarily be your calling. For example, I mean, a, a, a pastor could be called to pastor a church while also um, you know, supporting himself with a job that's not necessarily his calling. Um, however, you, your, your vocation could be the thing that God has called you to. When we talk about calling, what we're referring to is your unique contribution to this world, to the kingdom of God advancing in this world. And, and your calling could change as stage of life changes. I don't believe in one single calling for one person. I believe that God may, may place a calling on you for a season, And then, in a new season, place another calling on you. We see that in the life of David, for example, who for a while he's called to be an armor-bearer, and then he's called to lead a band of men through running away from Saul, and then he's called to be king, right? Different callings in different seasons of life. Um, And so we see that God is the one who determines what it is. He says, before I formed you, I knew you. So in, this is what, what this is telling us is that God intentionally forms the person for the calling. He's, he's formed for what he was made to do. God doesn't make us and then say, you know, I think I could work with this uh, and, and maybe get an author, maybe make an author out of you. I think you could be a decent doctor just from what I'm seeing here. Um, I, you know, based on a few things that he said, I think maybe he could plant a church. We'll see what we can do with this. No, God formed you intentionally, your personality. He has formed you for special and unique ministry. God knows from the very beginning what He intends for us to do. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, isn't that encouraging? So, so you, believer, are the workmanship of God. And He has created you for specific works of righteousness. He has made you very intentionally in order to carry those things out. Yeah, and that, that ties in perfectly to, to, to what I have over here as well. So we're going to go into Jeremiah's response to what God uh, has just said to him. He says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. So one of the funniest things, I think, about this particular uh, this, this response from Jeremiah is that, let's look at this first sentence that Jeremiah says, or this first part that Jeremiah says. He says, Ah, Lord God. And I think ah can be translated as yikes as well, I think, too. Uh, But Lord God can also be translated to Master Yahweh. And so Jeremiah just just was told about the sovereignty of God informing him in the womb for for this particular task. And right here, you see Jeremiah acknowledging the sovereignty of God, Master Yahweh, Master Yahweh. He recognizes that God is in control of everything. He just heard that he was even knit together in the womb by God's own hands. But in the exact same breath, in the exact same breath, he goes on to argue, to to fight against that sovereignty that he just recognized in God by saying that I don't know how to speak. I am only a youth. He, goes, he already is starting to try to put up these walls and these barriers between God's sovereign call and his own fear. And his fear is, is kind of identified in two different ways. They're, they're, they're pretty obvious here. The, uh, the first one is not being able to speak well. Jeremiah claimed that he was not able to speak well. Therefore, he didn't have these natural giftings to accomplish what God had called him to do, which if you know anything about a prophet, I think job descriptor like number one mm. is public speaking. They were, they were called to go in front of <laughs> kings and nations. And so, mm. you know, if you feel like you don't have the, the ability to public speak, then, you know, being a prophet is you probably, I don't know, check the job boards, I guess, because it's not, maybe not for you. And that's what he felt like. He felt like he didn't have mm. this natural gifting to be able to do uh, the work that God had put for him. Mm. And so having this knowledge of inadequacy, it, it caused him to be gripped in fear. He, I think when he took the, uh, you know those, uh, those gifting tests that you can yeah, get yeah. where you're trying to figure out your spiritual gifting? They so had those came back. I, I think so, yeah, yeah, because yeah, he got like back like a negative five wow. in like public speaking. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, a little known fact. It's in my footnotes, I think. <laughs> but, uh, but this is where I can so much relate to Jeremiah because yeah. one of my biggest fears is public speaking. It always has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been just a disgustingly shy person my entire mm-hmm. life. I, didn't, I don't think I talked to Kayla, my wife, for like the first six months yeah. of our like knowing each other because I was just afraid to talk to people. Um, somehow it worked. So yeah, single men out there, uh, try it out. <laughs> But I so much relate. And so when I, when I felt this call to be a church planter, I just thought there's no way mm. because I was so afraid, so gripped in fear of not having this natural gifting mm. of public speaking. Mm. The next thing that Jeremiah points out 
that, uh, that causes him to fear and that he tries to put a barrier in between he and God uh, was him being young. He, he tried to root his lack of speaking ability in his youthfulness. And the word that, uh, that uh, is therefore I'm only a youth is this word na'ar, which could be anywhere from an adolescent to some, somebody in their 40s. Uh, but we think he was probably between 13 and 18 during the time of his ministry or the, during the time of his calling. And so he didn't have this vast life experience to pull from in order to be a prophet. He didn't think he had enough experience. He thought that people would look at him and, and discount what he had to say because of his, because of his youth. And again, I feel that. I feel that so much. Uh, I'm a relatively young guy, and when I go out there thinking about starting a church plan, I think, you know what, no one's going to listen to me. I'm just this dumb kid that, uh, I don't know, that still reads fantasy novels and things like that. So why would anybody listen to anything that I have to say? And so I started putting these these uh, these false barriers in front of the calling that God had me to go to. And not only that, but this this... I don't know, me, me being the age that I am, this, this youthfulness is... Yeah, sounds like I'm bragging. Sorry, yeah, buddy. It's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So maybe I can learn from you, Ben, how to not... <laughs> but it made me feel that have this imposter syndrome, right? This, this feeling of being around mm. other people who have more experience mm. of church playing, more experience in ministry, or just more experience being a Christian. I felt sometimes like I was an imposter, mm. And I don't know if you feel the exact same way at times. I know we've, me and Ethan have talked about it. But uh, it's, mm. it's real and it's hard. Um, but one of the things that we started talking about the other day was that some of the conversations I had with people about their age being a barrier into ministry wasn't just with people who are young. Right. It was, it was right. people who were older as well. I think the majority of conversations that I've had when, when I've told people that Kayla and I are going to go out and, and plant a church, uh, a lot of older uh, people from the older generation like came my, to me like like, like his my, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, came to me and and were really excited and and very friendly and nice but but they said man I just wish I could do something like that mm. I wish that yeah. uh, that I could go out and do something mm -hmm. uh, but for some reason I, I don't know if you've had any experiences mm -hmm. with with that as well with people coming to you and, and mm -hmm. trying to use that as an excuse but but I do want to say that man Abraham was 86 yeah. when God called him. He was 86 when God called him. And so you, or your age is not something that God takes into consideration when he is calling you to follow him. Yeah. And, and the, 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 what I have found when I've had those conversations is the barrier isn't the, the number, their age. The barrier is stage of life, what, yeah. they, what they're feeling. It's real, right? Is, mm -hmm. well, but... But now I have a mortgage, but now I have kids in college, but now, or my kids are, are rooted here in this community, or now I have this career that I've really, you know, whatever it is, they're more advanced in all of these things in life. Mm -hmm. And it's like I was recently having a conversation with a, a pastor that I really love, respect, and he's been pastoring a church for 20 years. They just celebrated their 20-year anniversary as a church, and he was expressing this. He was saying, Man, I feel like a church planter, but I'm really struggling to like uproot my family. I have kids in high school and, and in college, and you know we've been in this community for so long, and we have this house and this yard, and 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 uh, and, and my heart was just thinking, oh, but if we could just let go yeah. of all the stuff mm. 
you know, it, it, that, that holds us down. What might God do with his church? With a church that's really free to go and do whatever he commands. You know, let's be, let's be honest with ourselves. If we were in Jeremiah's shoes and we heard this calling, we'd be freaked out too. I mean, what, what Jeremiah's being asked to do is he's, God is asking him to go and to be a prophet to the backslidden nation of Judah. And he's going to be hated, he knows it. He's going to be rejected, he knows it. And so he has this immediate response of why he, he can't do this. But let's look at what God replies to that and see what we can learn from it. Maybe, maybe right now, you've, you sense that God is perhaps calling you to do something that feels very risky, that feels uncomfortable, that feels like you're going to have to take some major risks And I just want you to consider that these responses to Jeremiah apply to you as well. So the first thing um, that we see here is that God says to him in verse 7, To all to whom I send you, you shall go. Here's the thing that a principle that we see throughout Scripture. Where does Jeremiah get the power to fulfill this Massive, this overwhelming assignment that God is calling him to, the answer is the power to fulfill the assignment comes with the command to do it. We see this all through the scripture. What God is essentially replying to Jeremiah here is, I've commanded you, I've sent you, therefore you have the ability to go do this. Um, we see this in, for example, in Matthew 14, when maybe you're familiar with the story of Jesus walking on the water, and he encounters the disciples on the boat, and Peter walks on the water with him. Not all the disciples, Peter. Why? Why did Peter have the supernatural ability to walk on that water? Let me just read to you the verses. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water, Jesus says to him, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. With the command comes the power. Hmm. Or, for example, in John 11. In John 11, we have the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, How did a man dead four days have the power to walk out of the grave. Listen to the verse. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. It's so straightforward. The command brings with it the power to obey. And this we see this all through Scripture. When, when God commands a person to do something and they have excuses of why they can't, God replies with, I've commanded you. Have I not commanded you? He says the same thing to Joshua before Joshua is about to go. Have I not commanded you, Joshua, to be strong and courageous? So how is he going to have the power to be strong and courageous? Because he's been commanded to be. And so, and so with Jeremiah... He has the power to go do what he is supposed to do because he's been commanded by a powerful God. Mm -hmm. 
So the same is true for us. If we, we might have all kinds of excuses that, listen, I mean, they, they are probably legitimate. I mean, I think it's legitimate for him to say, I don't know how to speak. I'm supposed to be a prophet. I don't know how to speak. That's, that's legitimate. And yet God says, yet yeah, you just received the power because I just commanded you to do it. The same thing with Moses, who has the same excuse. I, God, God I, I, I stutter when I talk. And God says, who made your mouth? I'm going to be with your mouth, right? And so not only are our, our excuses invalid, but our fears are also, our fears are irrelevant. Because look at what he says to him. He says, he says I'm, I'm only a youth. I don't know how to speak. He says, don't say I'm only a youth. For all to whom I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you. And so he says, here's the reason you don't have to be afraid. I'm with you. And we see this again and again in Scripture as well. He says the same thing to Moses. Moses is afraid of going to Pharaoh. Don't worry, Moses. I am with you. And so there might be a thousand reasons why you are afraid to step out into your calling, and God gives you one reason why you don't need to be afraid. Mm-hmm. I am with you. That trumps all your fears, all the reasons why you feel like you can't. I am with you. Mm-hmm. We read in 2 Corinthians 3 that our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. So where does your sufficiency come from to do what God's calling you to do? God. And he's promised to be with you. And he isn't with you as a passive observer. He's not just with you like, he's not just going to go with you to St. Albans and just sort of step, stand back and watch. Look at what he says. He says, I am with you to deliver you. In other words, I am going with you to be actively engaged in what we're doing together. It's a partnership, right? I am with you. I've commanded you. Therefore, the power to obey comes with the command. I am with you. You don't have to be afraid because I'm with you. I am with you, and I am going to deliver you. I'm going to be actively engaged in what you are doing. So you have absolutely no excuses left, essentially. Yeah, I uh, kind of going backwards a little bit before we move on, um, and we probably don't have time, but doing it anyway. We're good. We're going good. rogue. Uh, but uh, I, I love that you used Peter. I, I love that you used that example so much because Jesus commanded Peter to come out and walk on the water. But we all know that he, he eventually started walking out on the water. He started walking on actual water, yeah. but then he sank. And yeah, the reason yeah. that he sank was because he took his eyes off of Jesus. Jesus right. And I think that yeah. is so telling for, for us because I think one of the reasons why when we, when we look at this calling that God has given us, and one of the reasons why, uh, for me at least, when fear and anxiety and these feelings of insecurity start welling up inside of me, and, and really it starts to, to almost like petrify me. I can't mm. move sometimes. Yeah. But I think the reason why that happens so much is because I become hyper-focused on the tasks of the calling 
rather than on the collar. Oh, yeah. And I think that that happens so much. And we see that so clearly with Peter. Because when we move our eyes away from God and just like, so for for Jeremiah, it was public speaking. It was having to go Mm. to thinking about going to the king, going to, going to the nations, going to the uh, temple and, and doing judgment. And he was thinking about all these things. Yeah. And so, of course, he couldn't do it in his own power. Mm. But he was starting to feel those things because he forgot who he was talking to. He forgot. <laughs> he took his eyes away from God, yeah. the sovereign Lord, yeah. and put it only on the task of the call. Yeah. And, and that happens to me mm. so much, mm. so much. And I like Psalm 121, uh, 1 through 3 says, I lift my high eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord yeah. who made heaven and earth. I so often need to remember to lift my eyes to the hills Amen. and not down here. Mm. And it's, uh, it, it can be so difficult to do. Mm. But uh, So moving on to the next mm. part of, of the passage, um, we're, uh, let's see, where else is our place? Uh, so starting in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord put... Out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, "Behold, I have put my words in your mouth." Mm. And so here we see that God is is reaching down and touching the lips of Jeremiah, and this is just a sign. If you think of Isaiah and Ezekiel, almost the same thing happened mm. to them. God touched their lips, and this is a a showing of of their mouths being purified, getting ready to speak the holy words of God. Yeah, and so. When you read Jeremiah, pretty much from here on, you see Jeremiah when he is, he is uh, proclaiming the word of God. He will say, thus says the Lord. Jeremiah is given the direct words from God to say to his people. And even though we don't necessarily get the exact same revelation in the same way that Jeremiah did, we too are given the words of God right here. That's right. We're given the words that we are to, to preach and proclaim. So we don't have to worry about about this fear of not knowing what to say because we are given a script. We are giving the greatest script there ever was. We are told in Romans 5, 8 that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. We, we can know that. We can go out and proclaim that. Those are the words of God that we have here. Yeah. We have his words in Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been given these words to go out yeah. and proclaim. We're also told in Luke 12 that uh, when Jesus was speaking with the disciples and he was comforting them for the mission that was, that was to come and they were to go out and proclaim the gospel. In Luke 12, he tells them that the Holy Spirit will even aid them when they go and speak to the religious elite, when they go and speak to the governmental powers who are, who are in charge, to not be afraid because the Holy Spirit in those moments will give them the words to say. And I believe that that is a promise that is still for us today so we don't have to be afraid now i'm not saying that it's that is an excuse for us to not study the word and to not study christian apologetics and to be able to have this answer ready for those who want to know the hope that's within us uh that's the opposite it's just the opposite we should be even more eager because we are given the words of god and we can know what to say it makes me think about um colossians 3 16 i think it is it says let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Right. So the words have to be dwelling in us, yep. right, yeah. in order for those words to Absolutely. come out of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, like Ben was saying, there's, <laughs> we start putting up all these excuses, and mm-hmm. the more that we study the Word, the more those excuses get torn down. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
then God goes on to, to kind of explain to Jeremiah what his ministry is going to look like, what his main task is going to be. And he says in verse 10, See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Mm. So what God is telling Jeremiah here is that he wants a reformation. He wants a reformation in Judah. He wants people to come back to God. They, he wants them to turn away from their idols. But in order for this reformation to happen, for this great, uh, this great turning back to God to happen, Jeremiah has to break down these religious structures that have turned away from God. He has to destroy and overthrow this domain of darkness that has gripped mm. Israel. Mm. And God wants the same thing for us. But how, are, how is he to do that? How is he to actually go out and tear down and destroy? He isn't, he isn't called to, to make the standing army and to go in and, and just dis- actually literally destroy things. No, he is actually called to preach the word faithfully. Mm-hmm. That is how these domains of darkness mm-hmm. are torn down, how yeah. they're overthrown, and yeah. how eventually the good news of God, and for us, the good news of Jesus is planted. Uh, Listen to what God says uh, in Jeremiah 23 through 25. It says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed a dream. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesied the deceit of their own heart? Who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell their dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. Mm. And that's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. We are called to go into the domain of darkness. We're called to go into the, our culture who has turned away from God, who no longer sees a need for God. Mm. And there will be people who will stand up against us. There will be people who don't like the message that we have. They won't like the gospel, that they are sinners, that they desperately need a Savior, that they need to repent of their sins and turn towards Christ and place their faith in Him. Mm-hmm. And there will be people who come up behind you and preach false gospels right mm-hmm. behind you. Mm-hmm. You'll go and preach the gospel, and then somebody will come up and say, nope, that's not right. <laughs> but what does God say here? Let them tell their dreams. Let them tell their dreams. God will handle it. God is with you. Mm, mm. And all we are supposed to do is faithfully preach the word. That's mm, it. Mm. That's all we have to do. That's all we have to worry about. Mm. And, and I think it's so important that we remember that the fruit is not up to us. That's what you're saying, right? It's, mm. it, the fruit's not up to us. Jeremiah, if he would just to, if he had just focused on the fruit, you know, so to speak, which, if his mind was on converts, if his focus was on converts, he would have been so <laughs> discouraged. Yeah. Because if you don't know the story, it wasn't very fruitful in those terms. But in the last twenty, in the last twenty six hundred years, um, how much fruit? has the book of Jeremiah born. This, this was a fruitful life. And it was a fruitful life first and foremost because it was an obedient life. Okay, it was bearing fruit. His life was bearing fruit even as people were rejecting his message. 
Um, Aaron's pointed this out, and I think it was so, so helpful, that fruit bearing isn't about the results that you see. Bearing fruit is about the obedience. The obedience is the fruit. And, and so Jeremiah was, was to go and be obedient. God wants a faithful witness even when people will reject the message. Right. That matters greatly to him. Yeah. And so let that encourage you, church, today that while your message will be a stench of death to some and an aroma of life to others, when it is a stench of death to some, you are still bearing fruit, mm-hmm. the fruit of obedience. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? I mean, as we sort of wrap this thing up, maybe, um, maybe you have been sitting on the sidelines and not really engaging in God's advancing kingdom. What, what we learned back uh, last year, two years ago now, I guess, <laughs> forever ago, we did a series on um, experiencing God and some of the things that this book, Experiencing God, taught. And, and we looked at how the truths that all through Scripture, God invites, He doesn't say, here, here's this thing that I need you to go do so much as what He says is, here's what I'm doing, and I want to invite you into it. And it's the same thing here with Jeremiah's call. This is what I'm doing, Jeremiah. I want to bring you into it. I have prepared you for this work. And Maybe, you're, maybe you've been sitting on the sideline, and one thing that our, our heart today has been is we want, we want to stir you up to think about maybe there are ways that God is, is calling you, He's activating you for specific works of righteousness that He has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. What might those things be? You've got to seek that out with the Lord. What we know for certain is that he has called every disciple in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. Mm -hmm. And so you have been commissioned by Jesus. And in the commissioning, guess what he said? I will be with you Mm -hmm. always. That is a word for you. Oh, sorry. Do you mind if I jump in just real fast? Not at all. Yeah, I think think what's so good about that commission, too, is that that it's... It has a promise that goes along with it. Yeah. That that God's word will succeed, and yeah. that and that's the exact same promise that uh, that yeah. Jeremiah receives from God as well. So in this last little verse here, yeah. um, you thought of, you were trying to make me stop and not say it. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, but in verse eleven through twelve, it says, "And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the mm-hmm. Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word." To perform it, and so the mm. reason why he saw uh, an, uh, an almond branch is because the almond tree would bloom in January. It would bloom mm. before all the other trees, and so it would be said of it that it would watch over all the other trees and kind of be like a watcher, an overseer mm. of these mm. other trees as they came to bloom. And so, what God is saying here is that, like we, like Ben was just saying, is that God is the one who makes the words that you are speaking effective. Not you, yeah. not the things that you're saying, mm-hmm. not the, the way that you say it, even though we should say it with love and gentleness. It's not 
the strategy. It's mm -hmm. not any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. It is the fact that God is watching over his word to perform it. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 55, 11. Mm -hmm. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which mm -hmm. I sent it. Why does it succeed? Not because of you. It succeeds because of God. A hundred percent because of God. You know, there are, are, there are many people who will never hear the call of God in their life because they refuse to listen. Or, to put it another way, when the call of God begins to become clear, they choose to listen to their fears and insecurities and excuses rather than the call and command of God. And so that's what I, I mean, I think one way of just sort of summarizing what happened here with Jeremiah is he heard the call of God. He had the choice. He could have just listened to his own fears and insecurities. I'm a youth. I don't know how to speak. Oh, Lord, they're going to reject me. This is a backslidden nation. He could have, whatever all of those insecurities were. And that could have been it, the end of it. But God answers every single one of those fears. He demolishes every single one of those reasons why he can't be the guy to go. And, and I just want for us to hear this, that if, if you are a disciple of Christ, he has callings on your life. He has works prepared for you to walk in. But you must listen. You must listen to him. Believe him. Stop letting fears and insecurities that we all, we all struggle with. We all wrestle with these things, but God is stronger. God is better. Our sufficiency is from Him. And so the question this morning is, will you choose to surrender your life to Him afresh and lay down those fears and insecurities and the reasons that you are holding back? And will you listen to what He's saying to you? Will you get off the sidelines and, and say, God, I want to get back in the game. I want, I want you to use me for your kingdom and your glory, whatever that looks like. I'm going to put my yes on the table. You just tell me what that is that I'm supposed to do. And if you do that, I really believe whatever stage of life you're in, whatever ways that God has called you in the past, that God has fresh things, things right now, that he wants you to walk in. Um, so let's pray. Let's take a moment now just to, um, just to put this before the Lord, um, to do business with God, to lay down whatever fears and insecurities we might have, and just to ask him to speak to us afresh and give us ears to hear. Lord Jesus, you have already commissioned us. We know the marching orders. We know at least the big game plan that you want us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that you've commanded, and that you'll be with us. We know we've just seen that with the command comes the power to obey. And you've commanded each and every one of us to go and make disciples. And so, would you help us to believe, to believe that, that 
this is our mission and that there are specific things that you want us to do, each individual person to do, to help carry out this mission. And would you help us as we step out of the boat like Peter to keep our eyes fixed on you and not to get our eyes on the wind and the waves and to start sinking, but to keep our eyes fixed on you. I pray for this St. Albans team that as they go, they would go out in strength with their eyes fixed firmly on you. That the one who has called them has empowered them, has formed them before they even existed, that you knew them, that you've set them apart for this work. And Lord, you've set each one of us in this room apart for a certain work, specific work, special work that can glorify you. God, would you please use this St. Albans team, use Redeemer Church in St. Albans, use New King Church here, use every single one of our lives to bring the most glory possible to your great name. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.